You're listening to the Plain Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger to anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbing and Matt Smith. Here we back. We're back again. Oh. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, just about back. Blimey. This gets more stressful every week. It does. It does. Yeah. And we're back again. It's a Plain Talking UK podcast. Welcome to episode number 78 of 78. this show. 78. I know we're, we're getting closer to 80. And the milestone that is 100. Oh, I can't wait. So uh, we are live again this week. Uh, and uh, we've got uh, a few people in the chat room. We have. And we're going to start off in the chat room with Matty Fab. Uh, good evening, Matty Fab. Masha Gertz, good evening to you. And um, we've got Suat Baka, he's there as well. Good evening to you. We've got, uh, where are we? We're kind of scrolling down the list here. We've got Pilot Pips in the chat room. Pilot Pips in <laughs> France. Um, as you do. As you do. And we've got uh, Paul Tricker. Paul Tricker's in the, uh, yeah. in the, in the, uh, we met him at Seething, well. didn't we? Yeah, we met him at Seething. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Neil Braden. He's in the chat room as well. Good evening to you, or good afternoon, evening. It's an evening, isn't it, Neil? Yes, good afternoon, Neil. <laughs> evening. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we've got some, uh, got some good people in the chat room there, so excellent. Oh, All yeah. chip in during the show. Yes. So, uh, joining me, obviously, in the studio, forget myself here, is uh, my co-host, Matt. <laughs> hello, 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 He's hello. <laughs> uh, right, so you've, you've had a really exciting uh, week. Well, I wouldn't you, say an exciting week. I've had, I've had a busy week. I don't like this TV on the wall. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> it's so sorry, sorry. We, can, we can see what you can see, which is not something that I can normally see it, but Carlos can't, and uh, he... He's, uh, he's, I'm a bit worried he's going to spend most of the show doing his hair. That's the only thing I'm worried about. No, no, no <laughs> chance of that, no. I've got my bowing cap on. I don't, oh, do, I don't do my hair. Yeah, no, there I we go. Do look, a, everybody look closely. Yeah, so I've got my flying cap. That's my flying cap. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Matty Fab's got some sort of article of clothing that he wears when, um, when he's flying. Oh, I should hope so. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So we, we, we better start things off, really, I think we, we had, yes. So... We need to kick off things because we're, we're running out of time. Yeah, here, yeah. Matt's got to go. Yeah, I've got, I've got another soon. appointment, unfortunately, yes. and it involves food. So I'm sorry. I know there are very strict rules. <laughs> so we're going to start the show then, as we do, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. Oh, good lord, no! Let's go. <laughs> So, kicking off this week's first news story, then on the uh, three news website, uh, I think this one's a, an American site. It I is, think, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not as in mobile phone network here. No. Three, yeah. no, no. Uh, so, the story, the headline story, is uh, British Airways engine that caused fire had a known flaw. Oh. So, those of you who listened to last week's show will know we had the story on the uh, uncontained engine failure on a BA triple seven two hundred at uh, McCarran Airport in Las Vegas. So uh, the FAA uh, in 2011 warned both Boeing and General Electric about a flaw in the 777 engine that could cause it to disintegrate. The FAA warned about a potential unsafe condition in the engine and stated that the engine would require repetitive inspections for cracks that may appear in the engines. The National Transportation Safety Board, or the NTSB, said that fragments of the high-pressure engine compressor were found on the runway. It's unclear whether the British Airways uh, aircraft or British Airways themselves have performed uh, the required inspections 
put into place by the FAA. A spokesperson for the NTSB says that both Boeing and General Electric uh, inspectors will look at the engine in detail. Clark County commissioners will honour the firefighters who responded to the fire on the plane last week. Uh, they were on the scene in uh, around about five minutes and saved uh, the lives of all the people on board, um, you know, obviously because of the fire mm. had have taken hold any worse. Yeah. It could have been a lot different story. But um, I've been listening to uh, a few of the sh- other podcasts, other great podcasts mm. in the um, on the realms of iTunes. Yeah. And... Um, Quite a lot of them said that quite rightly that uh, you know this this uh, could have been um, you know twenty twenty five seconds later oh, and this would totally have been a different, different story because yeah. um, this was a really serious fire. Cool, yeah. Um, and obviously, as we know, the aircraft itself has been uh, written off. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it's always yeah. sad to lose a, a lose an aircraft, especially yeah, Boeing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, but no, it's uh, obviously the investigation is going to be ongoing with this uh, this story, and um, hopefully uh, there'll be uh, some sort of finding, um, which I think will end up probably being these the uh, the you know, actual fan blades uh, which mm. disintegrated. But um, at least there was a good outcome to yeah. the, to the general story anyway. This um, is this is a bit worrying though, isn't it? That 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 the problem was possibly a known cause. Mm. I don't know quite where we go from there, do we? I think I think we need to wait for a bit more information, don't we? Yeah. Mm. So moving on to yes. our next story, and oh, yes, funnily it, enough, <laughs> surprise, surprise, the next story. Uh, it's story. on the uh, travelmall.com website. Apologies to Ryanair fans. I should just stress, I am actually one, despite what it seems in this show. Uh, Ryanair rated badly for customer service uh, in Big Brands survey. Ryanair has come very close to the bottom of a league table based on customer service, despite recent efforts to be more customer friendly. The airline came 95th in a poll of 100 big brands rated in a which customer poll alongside Vodafone, both of which don't surprise me, if I'm honest. Uh, The biggest brands chosen based on market share within their sectors were rated on making their customers feel more valued, uh, knowledge of products and services, helpfulness of staff, resolving complaints or problems and access to customer support. The best performing travel brand in the poll was British Airways, which was rated joint 27th alongside the likes of NatWest, Lloyds, Halifax and QuickFit. Meanwhile, Thomas Cook and Thompson came in at 35th alongside HSBC Boots and Wicks. First choice was lower down the list at uh, 51st, sharing the position with Asda, Morrisons and Mothercare. Flyby and EasyJet were further down still at 89th, along with P- uh, Curry's uh, PC World uh, and B&M Home Stores. Top of the list of all the sectors, though, were Lush, First Direct, Lakeland, uh, Body Shop, John Lewis and Waitrose Lush also topped the poll in 2013. Scottish Power was rated the worst of the big brands at number 100. The league table, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, was based on the responses of 3,501 members of the public in May 2015. Oh, so uh, I, th- I think it, I think in, f- in fairness to Ryanair, it, it would appear that it's an industry-wide issue rather than uh, certainly when it comes to the low cost. Um, carriers. I mean, it's uh, they're certainly not alone um, in in having problems, if you like, with customer care. No, I think I think some people thought that perhaps because they'd changed their tune a bit, that everything would mm. just be sparkling overnight. Shiny. Overnight everything would be yeah. fabulous. Yeah. I think it will take a little while for everything to be sort yeah. of um, perfect uh, with Ryanair. Yeah, indeed. So moving on to our next story, another uh, budget carrier. This one, and uh, the story is on the Express uh, website, the Daily Express website. 
And the headline, EasyJet plane diverted after declaring an emergency over the English Channel. So an EasyJet flight from London to Rome uh, was diverted as it flew over the English Channel after declaring an emergency. Uh, Flight U25259 from Gatwick made it as far as the uh, north French coast before issuing an emergency call and returning back to the UK. The Airbus A319 was due to land at Rome Fumicino around 10pm British Standard Time. And uh, the flight which departed an hour late from Gatwick turned back after passengers smelt smoke in the cabin. Oh no. Uh, It was given a priority landing slot and all other aircraft were forced to circle the area. Uh, The plane touched down safely uh, shortly after 8pm on Sunday and emergency services followed the aircraft to the stand. A spokesperson for the airline, EasyJet, uh, said that they can confirm that flight EZY5259 from Gatwick to Rome returned to London Gatwick Airport after the captain declared a mayday as a precautionary only due to a smoke smell in the cabin. The aircraft landed safely and all passengers disembarked normally and the aircraft was met by emergency services in line with routine procedures. Uh, The safety of its passengers and crew are EasyJet's highest priority and the aircraft had 149 passengers on board. All of the passengers have been provided with refreshments and uh, they plan to fly them out on a replacement aircraft that same evening. Mm. So on the site there, um, you can see on there, there's uh, the picture of uh, the screenshot from Flight Radar or airlive.net uh, of the aircraft obviously you can see the track it took there mm. and uh, returning back to uh, back to the airport well but a safe outcome anyways so that's yeah great. absolutely yeah well again you know they've got to wear on the side of caution haven't they mm. so this is presumably near Gatwick if they're near sort of the Crawley sort of area yeah so I'm just waving at my wife. My wife just <laughs> my wife's just returned from work. <laughs> I know, poor, poor, poor slave driver that he is. If you if you, uh, if you look here, sorry, I'd just like to introduce all our listeners to my wife Gemma. Um, if you just look up there, hello. <laughs> I know. I agree with you, listeners. He is punching way above his weight. There, isn't he? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's excellent. The joys of a live show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I told you, he's, uh, he's been distracted by the cameras all day. Uh, it's the biggest mistake we ever did, putting it on the TV. <laughs> anyway, right, where were we? Uh, uh, right, so it's me. You. Yes, okay, so <laughs> it is me. <laughs> no, it's me. It's me, I've forgotten my brain. Uh, it is uh, TNT Magazine is the next um, story. This is also EasyJet, and EasyJet searches for the nation's favourite holiday selfies. Oh, dear. Mm. Um, <laughs> I do hate selfies. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really hate them. Uh, Special livery uh, is to be created from travellers' holiday snaps from the past two decades. Uh, To help celebrate its milestone 20th birthday on the 10th of November this year, EasyJet is taking to social media and calling for the help of those who have flown with the airline since 1995 to send in their favourite holiday snaps and selfies taken from their travels across Europe. To commemorate the occasion, the photos will be assembled as part of a mosaic to form a special 20th 20th birthday livelried plane uh, adorned with the favourite photos of those who have flown with the airline. We wanted to invite our customers who have been fundamental in getting us to where we are today to share their travel stories with us, says EasyJet Group Commercial Director Peter Duffy. We have devised this social media-led campaign as an engaging way to continue to inspire current and future generation generation EasyJet customers to create another 20 years of memorable travel stories. 
The winning entrants each week will receive a pair of free flights and all should uh, see their imagery emblazoned on a special liveried craft. To enter, tweet your travel snaps to at EasyJet. So obviously their Twitter handle is at EasyJet uh, with the hashtag. Um, so it's hashtag uh, time flies, all as one word, by the 14th of October. Alternatively, you can enter via w- or, sorry, 20years.easyjet.com. So it's http colon forward slash forward slash 20years.easyjet.com. Well, that is quite an exciting story, isn't it? Have you... Uh, have you Travelled much with EasyJet? Well, yeah, we're travelling with EasyJet this um, this coming not not this coming weekend, but yeah. next weekend. Oh, yes, um, of course, you're away next weekend. You? Yes, yes, um, yeah. yes. We're flying with EasyJet. We've got, we've got a couple Catwick. of tricky shows ahead of us there. Yeah, we have because yeah. you're away that week, and then yeah. I'm away the following week. Okay, <laughs> fine. That's that's fine. We'll, so we'll, it could be fun. We'll work it out. We'll work yes. it out. But yes. uh, no, we're, I'm flying with EasyJet. Like I said, ne- next Saturday. Mm. Um, and I haven't, I haven't flown with EasyJet for a few mm. years, actually. Yeah. So, because um, we, we normally, as the, the chat room is going mad here about mm. Ryanair. Um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, let's let's pop back to that, obviously, because uh, it is worth mentioning. Matty Fabers has made a couple of, again, a couple of really excellent. Well done, points. Matt. Uh, if it wasn't for the likes of Ryanair and EasyJet, place um, uh, travel would a uh, plane travel wouldn't uh, would still be out of reach uh, for many. Their service might lack but i suppose you get what you pay for which i mean we we've said that several times haven't we it's um it's uh and uh, neil said i i can fly between um ireland and the uk for 20 euros if i plan ahead it costs me more to park my car at the airport uh, i think it's great value for money i mean we all use it i mean i i, I berate them more in jest if i if i'm honest uh, i use them there is you know they are they're, they're the buses we, of the sky i know aren't we, they? i think we we find we find these uh, ryanair and uh, well especially ryanair yeah. stories we just find yeah. them them quite just they're just yeah. amusing they're, yeah think, it's I more think, amusing yeah. it's it, yeah. i i promise you there's no malice or nastiness in no. in in involved it's just one of those uh, just one of those things i'm afraid do you know i have to have to say because um because uh, matt has put on here about flying with ba do you know what mm. i have I've never flown BA. Have you not? I, it's terrible. I'm so obsessed. I know all the years <laughs> that I've been following aviation since yeah. I was a child, and I've never flown BA. The, the nearest I've, I've flown to BA would be British Caledonian, right? Um, Caledonian Airways back okay. on the on the TriStar, mm-hmm. which is where my love of that all started. So, yeah. but uh, no, never flown BA. Really? No. Oh gosh. No. Right, oh, dear. Yes, so indeed. we better move on. Next indeed, story. yes, next story. So the next story moving on is on the Telegraph travel site. The headline, the airlines that earn the most from baggage fees. Now, it's something mm. that we've talked about quite a few times on the show, haven't we? Baggage fees yep. and fees for this and fees for that. Yep. Um, so which uh, the headline as well, which airline collected $5.8 billion uh, mm. or £3.77 billion last year from an- ancillary sources, yep. i.e. baggage fees and all the other bits and pieces. So extras, including baggage charges, booking fees, and sales of in-flight food and drink, accounted for up to 38.7% of airlines' total revenue last year, new research has shown. A report into ancillary revenue at 63 major airlines uh, found that uh, US-based Spirit Airlines, which charges passengers up to $100 for a cabin bag, is the carrier most reliant on extras. But Ryanair isn't too far behind. (laughs) Uh, Just under a quarter of the Irish Airlines revenue, or 24.6%, derives from sources other than the cost of a ticket, uh, amounting to a total of $1.9 billion, or £1.23 billion. 
uh, or equates to roughly $21 or £13 uh, per passenger. Only four of the airlines surveyed in the air report uh, are more dependent on extras. Spirit, with 38.7% of its receipts coming from ancillary sources. Uh, Wizz Air, uh, with 33.7%. And Allegiant, another U.S. carrier, uh, with 32.4%. And Jet2 in the U.K. here, with 28.5%. Following uh, Ryanair on the list is Singapore-based Tiger Air, which uh, Grant would love Tiger Air, over at uh, PCDU. Uh, at 21.8%, uh, Jetstar at uh, 20.8%, and Flybe here in the UK at 20.7%, uh, Mexican carrier Valaris 19.5%, and EasyJet at 18.8%. By contrast, just 1.9% of British Airways' revenue is from extras. Really? Wow. Uh, for United uh, Airlines, the world's largest airline, the figure is 15.1%, amounting to $5.8 billion, or £3.77 billion, which equates to roughly $42, or £27 per passenger. Mm. Actually, just bring up, is that the Wizz Air one is the one? Uh, the Wizz Wiz Air. Oh, no, no, no it's all right. No, 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 no it's sorry. not. A spirit there. That's the Spirit yeah, sorry. Airlines on there. Um, but there is a list on this website as well. Um, mm. It goes, uh, it starts obviously with Spirit Air at thirty-eight point seven percent, and the uh, bottom one on the list is Qantas mm. yeah. over in Australia at twelve point one percent. So yeah. these these are um, this is this the, the percentage figures is how these uh, how, much, how much these airlines rely on extras. Really. Um, so I mean, it, it, you know, I don't know. It's just. Uh, you know, airlines charge so much for a ticket, and then obviously bung the extras on. But if you're buying a ticket here with Qantas, obviously you are paying for that seat well, on the yeah, plane to yeah. carry your bags yeah, and nothing absolutely. else. Um, but uh, Qantas, love, loved Qantas. I've flown on Qantas once. Brilliant, yeah, brilliant airline. But um, let's have a look at the chat here. Oh, Matty Fabs put the Wizz Air livery looks lovely. Um, what does everyone else think? Because mm. Wizz Air, I think I've just uh, updated their livery on have their they? aircraft. Wizz Air, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, Mashes flew BA, uh, yeah. and he enjoyed it several years ago. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, um, they, well, they, 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 I mean, as I say, we'd, we'd all love to be Neil, fine. Neil Braden's put, uh, you're not missing much. Uh, what? A BA. Really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> I think, I, I, <laughs> hopefully that's what he meant. Hmm. I don't think, I, no, I think he meant Ryanair. He must mean Ryanair or EasyJet or someone, oh, no. I reckon. Oh, so well. moving on, next okay, story. Indeed, yes, okay. And uh, the next story, this is uh, on the travelmall.com website, and the headline is Jet 2 accused of heavy-handed response to onboard drinking, which I'm not surprised about, if I'm honest, because obviously the last couple of weeks, regular listeners will... Um, We've had a Jet 2 story before. We had a few Jet 2 stories. Actually. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of them have been to do with um, people getting a little bit drunk on their plane, uh, heading off to, um, well, I presume either Malaga or, or, or Ibiza or wherever. So uh, anyway, uh, a nursery school teacher has accused Jet 2 of heady, heavy-handed behaviour after she was banned from a flight home uh, from Crete for drinking miniature bottles of duty-free vodka in on the outbound leg. Um Miss Morrison, age 34, was forced to pay £400 for another flight back to Glasgow after spending a week in Crete at her friend's wedding. Jet 2 launched a zero-tolerance approach to drunken behaviour on board its flights earlier this year, announcing that it would take action against rowdy passengers who disrupted its services. However, uh, Miss Morrison claimed she and her friend were unaware that they were breaking the airline's rules by drinking their own alcohol on board and that they surrendered the four miniatures of vodka uh, the 
minute that that they bought in the in the duty free when uh, they were spotted by a cabin crew member. She and her friend were then handed a letter warning them police um, would be uh, called if they did not cooperate, and they were asked for their passport details. But a crew member was caught uh, on a recording released um, by Ms. Morrison to the Daily Mail, um, reassuring the pair that no further action would be taken against them. The crew member told Miss Morrison and her friend that only that uh, they would be warned not to drink uh, their own boars, their own booze, sorry, when they, were, when they boarded their return flight. In the recording, made on a mobile, the crew member had uh, can be heard accepting the couple's explanation that they weren't aware of, of the bring-your-own rules and urging them not to, to let the incident ruin their holiday. Uh, but once in Crete, Miss Morrison said she received a phone call from Jet2 to say that she and her friend were barred from the return flight due to their aggressive behaviour. The airline accused them of continuing to drink their alcohol, their own alcohol, despite the warning from staff, uh, which she very much disputes. These allegations are completely untrue and, frankly, quite frightening, she said. I can't believe Jet2 staff can make up lies and leave customers stranded in a foreign country. We had to cut our holiday short and pay £400 for a new flight. Uh, this has put me off ever flying again. A Jet2 spokesman told the Daily Mail that having carefully consulted the cabin crew report, we took the decision to refuse carriage for the two customers returning from Crete to Glasgow. We understand Miss Morrison is unhappy uh, with this. Uh, we have explained the actions taken by her party uh, that have resulted in this decision. She, yeah, we, we take a zero-tolerance approach to aggressive behaviour on our flights. Now, did... <laughs> The the recording that the, there are issues for me personally with with said recording, because the way that she's she said that and it, and if if this is mm. true if indeed they were very very because uh, there are very strict rules about recording somebody if they don't know that they're being recorded yeah because it's is, out yeah. and out not allowed um, you know obviously we know that from when we've had guests on we have to get consent from people uh, to use their 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 voice and their content and things like that and the rules are no different if you're standing on air you know if you're standing there and, and wanting to make a recording it's um hmm so uh, i don't know why perhaps maybe maybe it's been dismissed because they can't use it as the recording as a form of evidence of, of the case because um the person didn't know they were being recorded Hmm, I don't know, but uh, well, I mean, it does did, suggest did, that it's a bit of a heavy-handed approach, as they say. Well, we discussed um, in the last show, didn't mm. we, with the, with the sort of the whole drink thing that, yeah. that you know, that you've got the airlines have to take mm. a, a kind of tough yeah. thing on, but there are well, ways around this and stuff of how to talk mm. to and to talk to people. Yeah, and, and that that isn't the way to do it, is it? Especially if they do have a recording that that you know disproves essentially yeah. what the cabin crew are, are claiming. So moving on, mm, indeed, yes. To the next story, which is on the oh, I love this one. Yeah, uh, this is on the Telegraph travel mm. site. Uh, the headline: British Airways reveals new state-of-the-art economy seat redesign. Mm. Uh, new. I shall, I shall show them. That yeah, photo. show them the yeah, photo. Okay, go on, yeah. Scroll it up a little bit. There we we'll, go. Here we go. We'll if you do, look at that, here we go. There we go. You'll be able Ooh, to look see at that. that. On there, there's uh, the shot there, screenshot there of uh, the interior cabin there. Of wow. uh, showing these uh, these new seats <laughs> here, but, which look awesome. Every home should have them. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, so the new premium economy seats uh, in British Airways as Boeing seven four sevens are more comfortable and feature tablet style uh, in flight entertainment systems. Awesome. Mm. Uh, so the uh, newly fitted planes, which uh, uh, the first of which departs 
for uh, from London Heathrow for JFK um, this week actually uh, have been equipped with Panasonic's Avionics EX3 systems, the company's most advanced in-flight entertainment system, featuring larger, high-resolution touchscreens with a sleek uh, swiping function created to uh, the feel of using a tablet. Uh, the system, uh, whose lightweight design aims to reduce the amount of fuel used by the aircraft, offers passengers more than 1,300 hours of entertainment, including more than 130 movies and 400 television programs. Uh, passenger seats in World Traveller Plus, BA's premium economy class, have each been fitted with a universal power socket comply, uh, compatible with uh, plugs from the UK and the US and Europe. While travellers in World Traveller Economy can access a USB charge point in their seats, which is quite good, I like mm. that idea. Uh, more comfortable foam seats as well, uh, as new seat covers match those in the Airbus A380 and the Dreamliners. And they've also been installed uh, in both World Traveller and World Traveller Plus seats. Uh, the upgraded aircraft will also be operated on selected flights to Chicago, uh, Lagos in Nigeria, uh, Dubai, uh, Boston, <laughs> uh, and uh, Radio in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, with further routes to be added in the summer of 2016. Uh, the revamped features of the Boeing 747s may pale in comparison to the enhanced uh, elements in the first-class cabins of BA's newly purchased 787-9 Dreamliner, where technology, uh, also techni- <laughs> technological uh, enhancements have been a key focus integrated into the passenger seat, uh, such as smartphone-like handsets and controls, uh, which uh, control the entertainment position and the seat itself as well. You can move the seat, which is kind of cool. Uh, the handset is also provides passengers with a second display screen, so they can watch two things at once. Really? Why would you want to watch two things at once? Why would you want to do that? Uh, Newly introduced controls uh, give passengers greater flexibility in adjusting their headrests and lumbar supports. And additional storage spaces have uh, been introduced. uh, And also a mirror has been fitted to personal lockers so grooming can be carried out mid-flight. So these are in the the seats that we'll never get to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, The seats are finished in a diamond pattern grey leather. Uh, while subtle golden flourishes mm. uh, are in, in the ground on the seat as well. Um, the 787-9 Dreamliner will commence services next month, flying from London Heathrow to Delhi on October the 25th. Mm. Um, BA's latest aircraft redesigns follow a series of engine-related issues experienced by two 777 aircraft uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, last Friday... Uh, a BA flight from Washington made a full emergency landing at Heathrow uh, as a safety precaution, according to a BA spokesperson, which temporarily closed the runway. And obviously, days earlier, as we know, uh, we had the incident at McCarran Airport mm. in Las Vegas. Yeah, but um, going back to the story here in hand, obviously the uh, the interior cabins and stuff of these aircraft. Um, I think that, uh, that a lot of these airlines now, especially the, these bigger airlines, are producing. Fantastic interiors, or the, the interior. Yeah, absolutely. There. I mean, they do look amazing. I just scroll down to the. Um, we'll scroll the, down. The, yeah, the, this one here. This yeah. this is the one that I'll just switch. Uh, put this up for you. This is the now, club, guys. The club this world. Is, yeah, this is amazing. It looks like a lounge, doesn't it? With the with the the light <laughs> hanging from the the ceiling. It's like, it looks lovely. It looks, looks really, lovely. Yeah. I yeah, love yeah, the yeah. love the um, the lighting, the mood absolutely, lighting. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just just looking in the chat room there, just oh, see, seeing what everyone's talking about. Go on then, update us. Um, 
Yeah, uh, Matty Fab agrees with airlines banning banning excessive drinking. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, and he says he won't travel on Ryanair or EasyJet um, <laughs> at all because he'd hate to be stuck in the middle of a rowdy stag or hen do for a, <laughs> for a few hours with his yeah, uh, two small boys. He does have a point. It has to be said. <laughs> it does, he does definitely have a point. Yeah, oh, yeah, I know what you're saying, Matt. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right, anyway, next on story. to the next story. Uh, this is on Flight Global, and the headline is ATSB probes Virgin Australia A320 flight control incident. Uh, the Australian Transport Safety Bureau, the ATSB, has launched an investigation into an automated uh, flight control issue involving a Virgin Australia regional airlines-operated Airbus A320 on the 12th of September. The ATSB says the aircraft registered uh, Victor Hotel Dash uh, Foxtrot November Papa uh, was around uh, 20 minutes into a flight from Perth to Bu- I want to say Bulgina Bu- Gida. Bulgida will say. I'm sorry if that's pronounced incorrectly. Uh, when an air traffic con- where air- when air traffic control noticed it was uh, deviating from its assigned flight level, the flight crew reported that an automated flight system issue had occurred and elected to return to Perth. It adds, under the probe, the ATSB will investigate the flight crew and review flight and air traffic control data. This is expected to close by December. Virgin Australia says it is assisting the ATSB with its investigation. Uh, Flight Global's Ascend Fleet's database shows the aircraft was manufactured in 1993 and is leased from, um, is it, a, uh, I want to say, Avaton? A- 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 A-V-A-T. A- A-V-A-T. Yeah, it looks like aviation, but yeah, kind of uh, but, but not quite. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a bit worrying. I wonder what that's all about. Uh, no, I'm just trying to look for the story there. Yeah. There we go. No, I was I was scrolling down. I couldn't find any more info. Virgin but, Australian Regional mm. Operated Airbuses. I have to say, I mean, I've said this before on, on previous shows that um, I, I I I always I just I just love Air, yeah. oh, the Boeing yeah, uh, yeah. as opposed to Airbus. I always will. I just I don't know. It's not just because of the fly by wire thing that I don't really like all that much. I think the Boeing aircraft just I don't know just look. Ah, I don't know, they just look better, I think. Uh, people in the chat room will probably disagree with me there. I'll probably get loads of um, hate hate shouts in the chat <laughs> abuse, room now. Yeah. Abuse, yeah. Although I will say, and I, I'll see if any of you guys in the chat room will uh, agree with me here, that uh, I've been looking at the pictures online of the new Airbus A350 XWB, and uh, it uh, it looks very, very similar to the Dreamliner. Uh, the way that um, Airbus have, have, have done their wind, the actual flight deck windows, mm. looks very, very similar to to the uh, to the Dreamliner with the Airbus. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> well. Neil, Neil Braden's put if it um, if it's not if it's not Boeing, I'm not going. Oh, <laughs> Do you know, oh dear. I wish I could yeah. I wish I could say the same, Neil. But unfortunately, yeah. this weekend I will be flying. Or sorry, next weekend yeah. I will be flying with the uh, EasyJet, and it mm. will be on an Airbus. Oh, yeah. oh dear. Yeah, there we go. Oh dear. Oh dear, 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 dear. You're not upsetting the locals, are no, you? No, no, not at <laughs> all. Not at all. <laughs> so next uh, story on Flight Global yeah. site and. Uh, this one's got a pitch to go with it, so Matt can put that on okay. in, in, in yeah. a mo. Yeah, okay. Uh, the headline then, uh, Tam's first A350 emerges from the paint shop. So Tam, uh, which is a Brazilian air- airline, TAM, uh, their first A350-900 has rolled out of the paint shop in Toulouse in France ahead of the aircraft's delivery uh, to the Brazilian carrier in December this year. 
The aircraft uh, will have its engines installed uh, next, as well as cabin furnishings and cockpit fittings, says Airbus. Uh, These will be followed by ground and flight tests. Uh, The first A350 uh, Fortam is registered uh, Papa Romeo X-Ray Tango Alpha. Uh, Flight Global's Ascend Fleet database shows. TAM, which has ordered uh, 27 A350-900s, will be the first airline in the Americas to fly the new type. Uh, It will be the fourth A350 operator in the world after Qatar Airways, Vietnam Airlines and Finnair. Um, TAM has said it will operate the first A350 uh, service um, between San Paolo and and Manos in January 2016, followed by services from Sao Paulo to Miami in March uh, and to Madrid as well a month later. Uh, the airline's A350, uh, which uh, Tam have got, are configured with 348 seats uh, in 30 with uh, 30 business class seats and 318 in economy. While uh, Tam's first A350 as well sports its signature red and white livery. And the airline's parent, LATAM Airlines Group, is expected to unveil a new livery for its airlines, LAN and Tam, early next year after announcing a new branding in uh, August. Um, if you've met. Matt will put that on the picture on the uh, screen now, so you guys in the chat room and viewers watching live can see uh, Tam's new A350 XWB Mm. there, um, looking awesome, minus its engines. Blimey, just throwing my phone on the floor. As you do. Uh, Minus (laughs) its engines, and also there's another one there, which you'll also be able to see a slightly different shot from the side of the aircraft. Just covering my phone. Thank you, there we go. So, yeah, that's uh, obviously fantastic news. I mean, Tam Mm. must uh, have loads of... um, yeah, sort of routes for this aircraft because they've ordered twenty seven of these. Gosh, and I, yeah. I, I doubt whether they're that cheap. No, no, I don't suppose no. for a minute they are, are they? Oh dear. So moving on to our yep. next story. Indeed, uh, yes, the next story. He said, "Oh, hang on, he's getting all a bit of a two and eight. One second. Uh, <laughs> sorry, we're we're frantically trying to do something in the studio. You'll find out why in a minute. <laughs> uh, it, it is. Uh, it's uh, Flight Global is the uh, website and. Uh, the headline is American flights grounded due to computer issues. Uh, this was issued by the FAA. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration is reporting that American Airlines flights are being held at their departure airports due to computer issues until uh, 20, uh, 13.30 Central Daylight Time. Flights bound for American uh, Chicago O'Hare, Dallas, Fort Worth and Miami hubs are not departing uh, under the ground stop program. The FAA's website shows it does not show any issues with flights bound for the airline's hubs in Los Angeles or New York or ones operated by its U.S. Airways subsidiary. The Fort Worth, Texas-based carrier operates more than 300 flights a day from Chicago O'Hare, more than 860 flights uh, from Dallas-Fort Worth and 240 flights from Miami on weekdays, uh, flightstats.com data shows. American, America's um, 
Americans flight daily uh, flights today were operated uh, at eighty six percent of them were on time at one thirty Eastern Daylight Time uh, flight stats shows. The airline is in the midst of a drain down period uh, where it is moving the majority of the reservations out of the US Airways reservation system and over to the American reservation systems ahead of a cutover on the seventeenth of October. Reservation systems integrations have posed issues for very uh, for previous airline mergers including US Airways America West in 2007 and United Airlines uh, Continental Airlines in 2012 uh, American was not immediately available for comment surprise surprise so they're having a few glitches i think with the system change essentially yes but uh, so moving on to our next story and uh, this one on uh, flight global site and uh, this is a story, or one of these kind of stories we've covered over the last few weeks, and uh, the headline, Lighting Collision Qatar 777 Conducted Intersection Departure. Now, this is a story that uh, was uh, on the uh, on the sort of realms of uh, media stations around this week, and this was uh, about a Qatar Airways 777-300ER that uh, had a collision with a lighting uh, unit while departing from Miami. And uh, the aircraft in question was seven years old. It was uh, Alpha 7 Bravo Alpha Charlie. And it struck the approach lights while taking off from Miami's runway 9 at around 20.30 local time on the 15th of September. So it's only a few days ago. Uh, It had been conducting a departure to Doha as flight QR778 from the Terminal 1 intersection, which would have reduced the runway length by around 30% to some 2,800 metres or 9,190 feet. The aircraft travelled along the taxiway S running parallel to the runway before being cleared to line up at the intersection. Uh, This clearance was acknowledged by the 777's crew, according to uh, air ground communications from Miami Tower. Investigators have not yet released any details of the weight and performance uh, calculations or the thrust settings used for departure. Uh, All 777-300ERs are powered by General Electric GE90 engines. Uh, there is no immediate evidence that the crew was aware of the lighting collision with the uh, with the uh, or collision with the lighting uh, tower uh, to control after the departure. There was no uh, any you know no con- um, conversation between the aircraft and the tower. The USFAA says the aircraft continued to its destination without further incident, but that subsequent inspection revealed substantial damage to the underside of the fuselage. Wow. Uh, meteorological data for Miami at the time of the departure, which uh, would have taken place after sunset, indicates only light winds and good visibility, although there were ra- or there was rain in the uh, vicinity. This is quite... T- I mean, <laughs> I mean, you, you do hear every now and again of stories where aircraft have kind of uh, had a little sort of knock and, and carried on. Mm. Uh, not all the yeah. time, because obviously a- aircraft, even after a minor... Um, Prang, if we like to yeah. call it that, would uh, have to turn back to the terminal building. Absolutely. Um, but obviously, these guys struck this um, this lighting unit whilst they were taking off um, on the underside of the aircraft, mm. and uh, probably well, probably didn't even know they'd done it. No. Um, no until indeed. obviously, until obviously it was too late. Yeah. Almost, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, just going back to the chat room. Yes. Uh, we've got. Um, Pilot Pip's in there. He has a pretty good idea what the cause of this was. Uh, taking off at the intersection, Pip. Uh, Matty oh, really? Matt Fab's put in there, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, yes, uh, Pips. Yeah, Pips. Uh, he's on. He's in the chat room. Bless him. Um, but no, it's, uh, it, it's. I've actually um, flown with Qatar Airways on on one of their Airbus A three thirty two hundreds, which were quite an old aircraft. But yeah. um, no, but no, it's. Uh, I mean, there'll obviously be a, an investigation at this, and uh, I mean, it does. It says substantial damage to the underside of the aircraft. So I'm, I'd imagine this lighting rig that the um, aircraft hit was one of those large ones that you see. Um, you know, around the intersections and the on runway sort of area itself. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, moving on to our last story. Do you want me to take this one, Matt? Because you? uh, you're busy. No, no, it's all no, right. No, I'm, sure? I'm, I'm all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, it is, uh, sorry, the next story is, uh, it's uh, Channel News Asia, and uh, the headline is uh, airlines to try to woo customers back uh, with their own to their own websites. Uh, airlines are trying to draw passengers away from low-cost comparison sites and back to their own home pages, seeking to boost profits by selling them extra services such as additional legroom uh, or access to airport lounges. Um, uh, Berlin stroke uh, New York Air, uh, airlines are trying to draw passengers away from low price uh, comparison sites and back to their own home pages, seeking to boost profits by selling them extra services such as additional legroom or access to airport lounges. Airlines across Europe and the United States are exper- experimenting with st- uh, st- uh, strategies to bring travellers back to their own websites. These range from improving the booking process to adding fees for um, tickets booked using uh, third-party distributors, uh, which themselves charge airlines for their services. Many airlines uh, see customising travel packages with lounge access extra legroom or hotel stays and and restaurant bookings as the area which revenue has greatest scope to grow. That uh, model can conflict uh, with comparison sites that market only base fares. German carrier Lufthansa gets uh, just 10% of its revenues um, from such ancillary sales and wants to grow that by an unspecified amount. Uh, Ryanair, which led the way in selling such add-ons, gets over 30% of its revenues from the said ancillaries. Uh, Third-party sites offer... Uh, airlines access to uh, a wider audience but for a fee and also that the expense of control of sales uh, airlines are excited to get their product on the shelves scott wilson vice president of e-commerce and mer- merchandising for united continental holdings inc told reuters they just need to be displayed in the correct way I can see a scenario in which United would not want to work with partners that weren't helping ad- advance our corporate strategy. He he added, although United aims to be uh, agnostic about where customers buy its services, Ryanair is overhauling its website to offer its 100 million annual passengers uh, flight price comparisons, cheap hotel rooms and location-based restaurant discounts. CEO Michael O'Leary told Reuters, this is obviously um, the Ryanair boss, uh, he told Reuters last month, that he wants rival airlines to share their prices on the low-cost carrier's website, although the idea has not yet been embraced by its competitors. There is a lot... Um, there is a lot uh, of level of trust whereby customers don't believe that an airline will show them the best uh, the best that a rival has got. Golden Wilson, CEO of distribution and technology company Travelport Worldwide, to also told Reuters. Uh, the major airlines each spend hundreds of millions of dollars annually to distribute their fares via global distribution systems uh, provided by Amadeus IT Holding, uh, Sabre Corp and Travelport. That allows flares, fares to be flares. So that allows 
fares to be easily compared by corporate travel bookers and directly by customers. Aiming to recoup costs, Lufthansa has introduced a €16 fee for bookings uh, via GDS companies, uh, a move which uh, those business and travel managers have criticised. Lufthansa says its annual GDS costs are over €100 million. That's $113 million. And that GDS costs are several times higher. Uh, that and other booking channels we have been we have seen such differences in cost via the various sales channels and we've uh, give, we've seen more and more demand from our passengers uh, for personalized services ceo carstens for also told reuters in an interview these latest moves in a tug of war between airlines and fare distributors have prompted some consumer advocates and travel technology companies to warn that carriers are making it tough for travellers to compare prices. The US Transportation Department is uh, considering u- introducing a rule to require airlines to, um, uh, to disclose ancillary fees at all points of sale. Uh, airlines say that they are among the world's most transparent industries when it comes to pricing, despite differences among their products and charging for services such as baggage and seat choice that co- uh, complicate matters. Uh, it won't be uh, easy getting customers back to the individual airlines' websites, though. Nearly half of travellers who book online use an online travel agent such as Expedia or MetaSearch uh, sites like Priceline, uh, Price Group um, a Kayak or TripAdvisor, uh, according to the Travel Technology Association, their Washington-based trade group. No matter how seamless a website is, customers are used to using aggregators for house insurance, motor insurance, mortgages, uh, anything uh, we start to look for. Um, we price compare these days, um, said uh, Mark Olsop, Senior Vice President and Head of Global Business Development for loyalty analytics company Am- Amenia. Uh, illustrating the swift rise of the online travel firms Lufthansa had the same market capitalization as Priceline back in the mid 2000 mid 2009 but since then Priceline's value has jumped to 63 million uh, 63 billion US dollars 10 times that of Lufthansa uh, Carsten Schaefer, uh, the head of Central Europe and Nordics at Sabre Travel Network, said it was difficult for airlines to match the service offered by distributors. We connect to 400 airlines. We're a, speci- we're a specialist. Uh, is an airline? I have doubts, he says. Big old story, that. I know. Yeah. I, I thought, <laughs> is, is he going to survive to yes. the end of this? No, I wasn't sure I was going to, if I'm honest. Um, but, so... Uh, those of you in the chat room, let's see, let's see what uh, what answers we get here. For, for me, when I'm booking mm. flights, uh, I have to admit, I do always go to, normally nine and a half times out of ten, I'll always go direct to the airline, uh, such as EasyJet, Ryanair, mm. Thompson, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but when I'm booking accommodation, I will use, I will always look at um, some kind of um, third-party sites, yeah. you know, uh, to find accommodation and stuff through. Um Occasionally, I'll use a search engine to find um, a cheap flight. Yeah, but they normally do tend to be slightly cheaper if you go yeah. direct to mm. uh, to the airline. I just wonder what any guys in the chat room whether you uh, whether you guys and girls in there would um, would go direct uh, to an mm. airline or whether you'd book through a third party site. Yeah, it's a difficult one, really, isn't it? But uh, no, uh, going to have a mention uh, to uh, one of the viewers uh, who's actually joined us 
uh, on uh, YouTube. He's uh, he's not in a chat room, um, but he is watching us. Oh right. Uh, I'd like to say hello to Mel. Uh, Mel Phillips, he's uh, joined us. Uh, oh, fantastic. He's joined us uh, there. I'll give Mel a wave. Yeah. Hi, Mel. <laughs> he's watching us uh, on his tablet. Yeah, I expect yeah. his iPad or, or iPad or awesome. something like that. He's watching us. So, hello to Mel. I work with Mel. He's a lovely chap. Oh, do you? He's a lovely chap. Oh, is that yeah. who I met at TV? Uh, no. No, 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 okay. no, that's not who you met right. at TV. No, no, okay. no. But no, hello to you, Mel. I hope you're enjoying the show. Yeah. And uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for, for watching us. Absolutely. Yeah, good that's very good of him. Yes. <laughs> so we've got, some, uh, we've got some comments in the chat room yep. then. Um, so, uh, da, 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 da. so, uh, Suat Baka says yep. that he goes directly to the airline. Mm. Um, a, lot pe- a lot of people do do that. Yes. Oh, I, I must admit, I do. I go if I'm booking Ryanair, for example. The first place I go to is Ryanair. I don't. I don't look through an aggregate. Maybe I should. Perhaps I'm missing out on deals. It's just. I mean, we just booked for Mother. Um, she's going back to Ireland, and it's only. Um, I think again, like somebody was saying earlier, she managed to do it's twenty pounds there, twenty pound return. Uh, to, you know, so it's forty pound return from Stansted to Ireland. Oh, I'll. Uh, well, yes. So. Anyway, yes, we need to bring this uh, segment to a close because we we've do. got to go soon, and we need yep. to get some bits and pieces done, don't yes. we? Yeah. But uh, we are going to bring the commercial news uh, segment of the show to a close. Yeah. Uh, we have got um, a segment to bring you next. Yes. And uh, yeah, we are stay in the chat room. Those of you who are in the chat room yeah. live, stay in there because we will be still broadcasting to you guys. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so we've got those bits to come up. Uh, the military news uh, yep. segment we've got to come up and we're going to bring those to you after this Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines Well not anymore I'm Steve Vischer And I'm Grant McCarran and we're bringing aviation right into your radio Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone Hang on, aviation's always been cool Check this out how cool is this? Crash, crash, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there we oh. go. <laughs> We're back. Are Don't we? panic. We Ooh. are back. Oh, that's a bit abrupt. That wasn't. That it, was a no? bit. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Neil. Neil's very uh, kindly just pointed out that we need to change that uh, that jingle. Oh, about the cricket. I yeah. know, I know. I've, I've actually, I don't think they're going to be quite so keen to alter it for us, no. though. That's the trouble. I have, uh, I have been in contact with Steve this week, and uh, with because uh, Steve, for those of you who listen to uh, the PCDU show, will know that uh, Steve uh, Vicious, uh, he's been rather. Uh, he's had another. He had a knee operation, so he's oh, wow. quite uh, quite ill at the moment. Oh, oh, hello. Oh, hello. I can hear. I something. can hear someone. <laughs> 
we're trying we're trying uh, to try and get a live link up with uh, Pilot Pip in France. Yes. Is that a yes? Well, I told you never to call me here. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Pip. How's it going? Oh, very well, very well. And uh, you're, you're joining us, Pip, live. Yeah, so, so just... Oh, I, so I better keep the language... Yeah, absolutely, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Family show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, do you want to play Pip's segment? Yeah, let's do that, shall we? All right, then. We'll play uh, Pip's segment for you now, then, for yeah. this week. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> just while he's ironing out some bugs, as I say, so we're, we're bearing in mind, obviously, we are live on YouTube, so uh, if, you, uh, if you are watching, obviously... So, but, yeah, for those of you guys <laughs> in the chat room, we are now going to play Pip's yep. segment, so if you're ready, Matt, let's, yep. uh, let's play let's do that. Yes. Pip's segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, it's time to visit the cockpit and join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hi everyone, it's Pip here. Now, I was hoping to be joining the boys live on the show tonight, but unfortunately the gods of scheduling had other ideas. It looks like uh, I'll be flying when they're recording this. Uh, which normally I wouldn't mind, but of course tonight is the opening game of the Rugby World Cup, England versus Fiji. I'm a big rugby fan, so I was really hoping to be watching that, flying from Birmingham down to Nice, uh, landing, well, not uh, too long before the kickoff. So I'm hoping I'll be able to get to the hotel just in time to, to catch the start of the game. So hopefully, if you're listening to this live, I will, at this very moment, be sitting in a bar somewhere in the south of France with a, a nice cold beer, watching England give Fiji a jolly good thrashing. Uh, and if not, I'll be bloody annoyed. Anyway, uh, what I thought I was going to do in this little segment, something a little bit different, is to talk a little bit about my first flying job. Now, a few segments ago, or a few months ago, I think probably by this point, I spoke about how I got into commercial aviation. And so I thought I'd tell you how I got my first job and then a little bit about that job because it was actually very interesting and a very enjoyable part of my career. And that first job, well, the first proper full-time job at least, was flying for a survey mapping company based out of Cranfield Airport uh, using aircraft to provide imagery for, for mapping and, and survey purposes. So I'd, I'd finished, this is back in the very early 2000s, I'd finished all my commercial licenses. And actually my, my first real job was flying in a little Cessna 172, um, doing photography. I had a, a photographer sitting next to me. He was, uh, well, he was a self-employed chap. He used to do photos for, for newspapers and estate agencies and things like that. And we used to fly around. And he'd hang out of the left-hand window with his camera, taking pictures of whatever it was. Now, I say that wasn't really my first proper job, because I didn't really get paid for that. It was more of a sort of a summer a summer job. I earned a few pennies, just about enough to cover the petrol money. But it wasn't really a proper job. But still, uh, a lot of fun, and crucially built up a few hundred hours, and uh, a few contacts, which were turned out to be very important a little bit later on. But that was just a summer thing. So come October, November time, that year, the flying had really dried up, and in order to to earn a bit of money, I went back to the world of investment banking, which I'd been doing before whilst I was doing my training, and I hated that. Oh, it did nothing for me at all. It really didn't. So I had to go back to that to earn a few pennies. So I found a temp job in London, out near Docklands, and it was actually a very depressing time, a very upsetting few months, because I really thought I'd missed the boat. 
I'd had my chance and it, it, it slipped past. I was in a very low point of my life. And I, had, I was phoning everyone that I could think of. I was sending CVs left, right and centre. I was making phone calls. I was begging and I was pleading, but just nothing was happening. That sort of time of year, end of the year, coming up towards Christmas, is, is just a bad time to be finding a job generally, I think. People um, you know, are beginning to wind down for Christmas. But I was desperate, i got to tell you guys. I was desperate for a job, a flying job. So I was calling, I had a long list of numbers and email addresses and, and places to send CVs. But nothing was happening, nothing was happening at all. So Christmas came and went. To top it off, our family dog died just after Christmas. <laughs> it was a real kick in the teeth and it was a very low point. I was getting very, very depressed. And they say timing in aviation is everything when it comes to finding a job. And this was certainly true uh, when I found my first proper job. It was exquisite timing, in fact. So I was, as usual, sitting at my desk in, uh, in, uh, in the investment place, doing something very menial and uh, very unexciting, and going through my list of phone numbers, phoning the usual people without any joy. And there was this one company uh, that I phoned a few times with their head office in Bristol, and I phoned them again as I worked my way down the list. And the girl who, who answered the phone, she said something like, oh, well, why don't I give you the number of, of uh, the, the flying office, the, the pilots over at Cranfield? And I said, oh, yeah, OK, I'll give that a go. So she gave me the number and I called. And a chat picked up and I said, hi, I'm Pip. I introduced myself. This is what I'm about. I'm looking for a job. Anything going? And he said, the guy on the other end of the phone said, well... As luck would have it, one of our pilots has just handed in his notice and I've got a pile of CVs in front of me right now and I'm going through them. What was your name again? So I said, so he flicked through the pile of CVs and he pulled out my one and he said, uh, oh yeah, well listen, why don't you come down tomorrow then for a chat and a coffee and, and we'll take it from there. And I thought, well, blimey, there's a bit of luck. Now had I phoned him... Half an hour later, he probably would have already picked out a couple of CVs and arranged interviews. So that was a, a really good bit of serendipity there. Anyway, so I went down the next day. We had a chat, and it turns out that guy on the phone, I actually kind of knew from the University Air Squadron. He was in his final year at the Air Squadron as I was in my first year. So we, our careers had sort of overlapped at some point. Anyway, and we hit it off, and uh, the rest was history. He, uh, or They offered me a job, and I started just a couple of weeks later. And I've got to tell you what a huge sense of relief that was to be offered a, a job, a proper job, proper full-time paid flying job with a real company. And ugh, the relief, the happiness was, was immense. I thought, well, that's it. I've, I've made it now. Whatever happens from this point on, I'll always have a, um, a proper flying job. You know, no matter in which particular direction it takes me to the airlines or something else, I'm here now. I'm going to build up some proper experience, get paid properly. I'm on the road. The journey has started. And so it had. And it was a, a wonderful few years at this company. As I said it was a company called, well, at the time they were called uh, Simmons Aerofilms. They've, over the years, have transmogrified into various other companies. So my job there, obviously, as a pilot and just a very small team of pilots, at the time the company had just two or three aircraft, which were generally uh, Cessna 400 series aircraft, twin-engine piston aircraft. As far as twin-engine aircraft go, it was on the, the sort of larger end of the scale. 
And the Cessna 400s, the 404 and the 402B we used to use, are, are wonderful aeroplanes, really good, high-performance, twin-piston aircraft. In the, in the conventional passenger-carrying role, they would carry, I guess, what, eight or nine passengers, or maybe, yeah, something like that, eight or nine passengers. Uh, unpressurized aircraft, although they do come in pressurized variants as well, but our ones were unpressurized. Uh, but of course, the ones we were using were not for passenger carrying duties, it was for aerial survey. So all or most of the seats were all stripped out and the whole aircraft was kitted out in some very high-tech camera equipment. So the typical setup, most of what we were doing was uh, digital imagery, but we also used to do various other things using uh, laser scanning, something called LiDAR. Um, 3D imagery using something called pictometry, but the majority of the work was with a, a very large digital camera. So the setup would be uh, one pilot and one survey navigator. Now the navigators traditionally going back a few decades to the 40s and 50s and 60s, they were navigators, they would navigate the route. They would have a, a sort of a, an inverted periscope looking out of the bottom of the aircraft and you'd have a, you know, a survey route that you were flying, a line, and the, the navigator would, would look down the periscope and call out to the pilot you know, headings and corrections to fly, so you know, one degree left or a couple of degrees to the right. But uh, in, the, uh, in the modern age, what we were doing was all controlled by computers, so the, the survey navigator really became more of a, a computer operator. But what we had, the camera itself... Was, a, was about the size of a, a fridge, your sort of fridge in your household. So it was a pretty big bit of kit, a couple hundred kilograms. And that would sit on top of a huge uh, gyro-stabilized gimbal. Um, so there was a hole cut into the bottom of the aircraft with a gimbal sitting on top and then the camera sitting on top of that. So as the plane yawed and rolled and pitched, the camera would remain perfectly level. And then that whole assembly was, was hooked up to a great big bit of computer, again, probably about the size of a, a big fridge, which controlled the whole thing. And in turn, that was hooked up to a, a couple of other computers, which was the interface for the survey navigator to, to control the whole thing, to uh, you know, select whatever modes um, for arranging the storage of all the data, that kind of thing. So all in all, it was a, quite a lot of kits in the back of those aircraft. And we had to be a little bit careful about how we loaded the whole thing up. A lot of the weight was at the back of the aircraft. So one of the first lessons I remember uh, when I started flying these aircraft was make sure you only get in one person at a time because if you get two people sat in the back at the same time, the whole thing was likely to tip up onto its tail. So that was the usual sort of setup. But as I say, we did use other bits of equipment as well. So every so often the, the technicians would uh, refit the whole aircraft it was a few hours worth of work to get out all the camera equipment, put in the maybe the laser stuff. We used to use laser scanning stuff. We didn't use it much actually, but for um, seabed surveys and this kind of thing. Uh, but as I say, a large part of it was just digital imagery and the, the sort of the projects or the, the clients we were working for, well, they were quite varied. But for instance, Ordnance Survey, the, the big UK map maker, was a large client. Um, so we used to go off and spend hours and hours and hours on end flying these racetrack patterns uh, around various parts of the country. We'd, the whole country was divided up into grids, maybe 15 miles by 10 miles, something like that. And we just used to fly up and down, up and down, up and down as the camera 
was snapping images every, I don't know, every 20 meters or every 50 meters. That depended a lot on the, the height of the aircraft. The lower the aircraft was, so the more detailed the image, uh, the, uh, the camera would need to fire off much, much faster because the lower you are, the, the, the faster the apparent movement of the ground underneath the aircraft. I don't know if that makes sense. But as a result, to cover the, to cover the full area, you would need to take m many more pictures because the field of view was much smaller, lower to the ground. So the camera would be firing off every, maybe every second. And the result of that, bring, trying and bring it back to safety here, was you needed to fly. The lower you were flying, the slower you needed to fly. And that could be a little bit tricky. So often we would be flying around at low altitude. We're talking maybe as low as a thousand feet, sometimes even lower actually on particular projects. But in order to, to make the whole thing work, you needed to fly as slow as possible. So we'd be with a, a stage of flap out and really sort of with the nose up in the air hanging off the props. And when you're looking at twin engine, piston engine performance, uh, you need to be really careful in case you get an engine failure. You have something called VMCA, which is the minimum control speed uh, whilst you're flying around. And you can get to a point where you, you go, you're flying below the VMCA speed. And if you have an engine failure at that point and you're too slow, well, the aircraft is going to very quickly flip over onto its back. And before long, you'll find yourself, well, very much dead, actually, as you crash into the ground. So we need to be a little bit careful about exactly how we're operating the aircraft. So those very low-altitude flights. We'd fly as slow as we could, but we needed to make sure that we're being safe at the same time. And this is sometimes a little bit of a battle between pilot and survey navigator. Uh, you know, we've got two different aims in mind. He, in the back, is wanting to, to get the optimum uh, coverage and the optimum uh, imagery that he can, whilst us in the front as a pilot, we're trying to make sure the whole thing's safe. So sometimes there'll be a little bit of a conflict of interest there. And so uh, certainly an element of teamwork and CRM, uh, crew resource management, comes into it. But then, of course, other times uh, we're flying at much, much higher altitudes and, and that uh, sort of problem didn't come into play. But as I say, some of these ordnance survey places, for instance, we, we would do some very long flights. I've got a few five-and-a-half-hour flights uh, logged doing this sort of stuff, just flying these racetrack patterns up and down, up and down, up and down all day long. And actually, that was really tiring work. We weren't using autopilot when we were flying this. I mean, the aircraft had autopilot, but it wasn't nearly accurate enough to fly these tracks. I mean, I'm talking that the accuracy required, again, it depends a little bit on the altitude, but you're talking about laterally just within 10 meters left or right of the prescribed track and altitude-wise maybe plus or minus 50 feet. So there's a lot of stick and rudder work, um, and particularly when you're flying up around the coast, for instance, on a hazy day where you've got no horizon, you're really just concentrating on your instruments for, you know, five, five hours at a time, and that's really hard work. It's kind of akin to a long motorway drive, you know, when you've just been on the motorway for hours and hours and hours. You know, it's not physically demanding work, but you know how tired you feel at the end of the day after a long motorway drive. And it was very much like that. Uh, it took a lot out of me, concentrating for such a long period of time. But on the upside, some of the work was truly amazing. So we did a lot of that sort of ordnance survey work. We used to do a lot of work for the Environment Agency. We were constantly on standby for typically flooding you know how the uk floods every year in various parts so we were on a couple of hours standby to to go and um, do flooding survey work but also we got involved in a lot of other stuff we did a lot of work for the ministry of defense 
what exactly they were using the imagery for, well, I couldn't really tell you. Um, and then we also did a lot of international work. As a company, we, we flew all over the world. Uh, not me, unfortunately. I know some of the other guys were lucky enough to go across and do some work in places like the British Virgin Islands, uh, various other places around the Caribbean, all very nice. Uh, I did quite a bit of work across in Northern Europe, uh, in Belgium, around Brussels. Uh, we also used to go up to Iceland quite often uh, over the summer, and that was just wonderful work. We used to fly up and spend a couple of weeks in Iceland doing some wonderful low-level stuff, some geographical survey work. So low-level through the mountains, through the valleys, and also higher level, so up at fifteen, sixteen thousand feet over the mountains. And Iceland is just an amazing place. And I was very privileged to, to go up and, and get that perspective. And of course, with the higher level work, as I mentioned earlier, the aircraft were not pressurized. But when you're talking about levels above 100, you need to take supplementary oxygen. So what we used to have was little uh, oxygen bottles and what they call cannulas. Uh, you've probably seen these in, in hospitals. They're the plastic tubes that like, look like they go up into your nostrils. But actually, they, they just sit just just inside your nostrils so it doesn't you know it's not going all the way down your airway but it's just a little plastic nozzle and you hook it up to the oxygen bottle and it just provides a constant just steady flow of oxygen for you to breathe in um, through your nose and actually that this works very well for those sort of medium levels so 10,000 feet up to 20,000 feet so we used to use those quite often otherwise you would very quickly even at those sort of altitudes you're very quickly uh, start to feel the effects of hypoxia, lack of oxygen. So I know a few guys, they didn't like the cannulas. So if we're doing a job at 10,000 feet, for instance, they'd, they'd not bother. But after a couple of hours of that, they would start to get a headache. And, you know, even at those altitudes, it will eventually have an effect. And uh, so that was a really nice job. I got to see some very special, special things, things that uh, people don't often get to see, such as flying around London early in the morning. We used to have a lot of work in the London area, which is always very tricky because obviously London's a very busy airspace and the last thing they want is a little Cessna 400 flying around, getting in everyone's way. So what we used to have to do was to, to obtain something called a non-standard flight number. It's, you'd have to coordinate this with London Air Traffic Control or, or Heathrow, typically, to get the clearances to, to go and do this work. You know, typically we'd be flying north-south track straight across London. Um, but obviously this is really going to get right up everyone's nose. So we used to get these special clearances, but more often than not, the only time that they would let us in would be before Heathrow opens at 6am. So we'd have to wait till mid-July, for instance, when the, the days are very long, and we'd have to take off at maybe 5am and go down and do an hour's work in London just before Heathrow opened. So it was quite lovely to be flying. And this is very low-level work. This is right down at a 1,000 feet. So you can look out and you could see people waking up in the morning, getting into their cars and going off into work. And it was a, quite, a, quite a privileged view. And then, of course, as 6 o'clock came when the 747 started coming in, London would tell us to, unfortunately, clear off and come back another day. So that was always quite a challenge. And uh, there were many other times, of course, that we had to deconflict ourselves with, with other traffic. One of the big safety aspects of this job was, was traffic avoidance. Uh, you know, we're doing some very unusual kinds of flying, uh, typically outside controlled airspace, and, and our aircraft then didn't have any TCAS, any traffic collision avoidance system, anything like that. So looking out of the window, seeing a void was, was a vital bit of the job.
Um, I can remember several relatively close calls with other aircraft. Um, but of course, deconflicting with military aircraft was a was a big thing. As, as I say, some of the air work we were doing was at low level. And when we're going up to places like Scotland or the Lake District, these are the areas where the RAF and the Navy like to do their, their low-level training. So the risk of a collision with a tornado or a, a Jaguar or a Harrier or something was, was pretty real. So we needed to be very careful. And there was a system in place, actually, something called uh, CANUP, C-A-N-P. I can't remember exactly what that stands for. But this was a system whereby we could file... Uh, or let the military know that we were conducting some sort of work. Now, it wasn't a perfect system. What you'd put into it was a position and a radius to say, OK, centred on this position, two miles within this position, we're going to be working at altitudes between, I don't know, 1,000 and 5,000 feet. Uh, the trouble is, of course, the sort of work we were doing was not centred on a particular place. It was, as I say, we were flying tracks down coastlines, perhaps, or these, uh, these racetrack patterns, which could be 10, 15 miles in length, or even longer, you know, if you were following a coastline down, you might be doing so for 50 miles. So that was a challenge as well. Well, I've been rabbiting on now for look, over 20 minutes. That wasn't uh, my intention at all today. What I should probably do is, because is, um, this is a, it was such a cool job, we did so many great things. I should probably do a whole episode on this over on Plane Safety Podcast one day. So uh, maybe stay tuned for that. But I think I better hold it there. You're probably wanting to get off and watch the rugby yourself. Uh, so, hopefully, that's exactly what I'm doing right now as you listen to this, is watching a bit of rugby in a, with a nice cold beer. I know Carlos isn't too enthused about the whole thing, but uh, come on, Carlos, you can do it. Watch a bit of rugby. Beer man. So, for now, I'll hopefully speak to you again next week. Take care, everyone, and enjoy the game. And we're back again, then, after that. Thanks very much for that, Pip. As always, fantastic segment. And no, I won't be watching the rugby. Anyone who knows me will know that I do not watch rugby. <laughs> Matt knows that. Yeah, but, but rugby's awesome. Why, why do you not want to... Uh, why? Why? Why, well, why Carlos? I've, why? I've, I have a large pot of paint outside. Yes. Uh, I'm going to take the lid off and uh, watch it dry. Are you? Mm. Right. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's either aviation or nothing, so, um, yeah. But, uh, no, thanks for that, Pip. But uh, we actually do have, hopefully... Fingers crossed. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's not quite going according to plan, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna go with another plan. So okay. it's gonna sound a bit strange for him, but uh, hopefully he'll be okay. So so uh, is, is Pip there? Hello, Pip. Hello. Yay! Blimey, he's there. And and for the first time ever, here we go. You can actually see him. Yay. Say hello, everyone. Hello, say hello, Pip. You are live. <laughs> On the YouTube feed. Yeah, yes, you are live on Plain Talking UK podcast. Hello, Please do shark. not swear. Yes. <laughs> so, Pip, um, obviously all there the... There I am! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, I should just brilliant. stress, there's a 20-second delay, so just play nicely, you lot. <laughs> okay. So, anyway... For those of you who always wondered what Pip looks like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. now you know what Pip go. looks like. <laughs> there he is, look. <laughs> oh, he's, oh, he's, he's doing, doing his, his hair, hair now. Honestly. Oh, <laughs> honestly, he's worse than you. I didn't think that was possible. <laughs> Neil, Neil Braden, Neil Braden in the chat room has put, "Turn the camera off." Twenty nine minutes for the rugby. At twenty nine minutes for the rugby, he's getting know, okay. he's getting tense. Right. Okay. So we we are going to move move things swiftly on then. Indeed. And, yes. Uh, you better are, go first then. We're yeah. going to do the military segment. So. Yeah. Uh, um, if uh, <laughs> if you're ready in Marseille in France, Pip. I am. We. Oui. 
And if, <laughs> we. if you're ready, Matt. You should have gone before we started. Uh, yes, yes, I'm ready. Yes, right. yes. Uh, so, right, here we go. So the first story then on the military segment this week is on Flight Global's website. And uh, the headline, Lockheed Martin pitches SC-130J conversion to the UK. So Lockheed Martin uh, is proposing to adapt part of the Royal Air Air Force's in-service fleet of C-130J tactical transports to meet a potential UK requirement for a maritime patrol or multi-mission capability. Uh, Outlined at the Defence and Security Equipment International uh, Exhibition of London on the 15th of September, the company's SC-130J proposal would take the RAF's 10 uh, short fuselage C-130Js and incorporate a mission system derived from that already integrated by Lockheed onto the Royal Navy's Augusta Westland Merlin HM2 helicopters. This would include fitting an active electronically scanned array radar beneath the fuselage and weapons sponsu or sponsoons in the front of the main landing gear to accommodate torpedoes. Other proposed enhancements would include fitting extra range long fuel tanks to increase mission endurance to 14 hours, uh, underwing weapon pylons capable of carrying anti-ship and air-to-air surface missiles. Uh, a 20-inch electro-optical infrared sensor and new communication systems and electronic support uh, measure equipment as well. It could also gain a magnetic anomaly detector boom if required to perform anti-submarine warfare duties, the company says. In-country modifications which would also include fitting sonar buoy dispensers and workstations for five onboard mission systems operators would be performed by the RAF's existing C-130J supported provider, Marshall Aerospace. Uh, the proposal also involves giving the aircraft replacement centre wing boxes, which Keith Muir, International Business Developer Management for Lockheed Martin UK Integrated Systems, says could enable a uh, service life of another 25 to 30 years for the C-130J. Along with several other potential bidders for a maritime surveillance requirement, Lockheed is hoping to see the need for such a capability identified during the UK's government spending or pending strategic, uh, strategic sorry, defence and security review. Uh, if Matt will put that on the screen. Yes, certainly, yep. Uh, you'll see there uh, this uh, sort of a uh, an artist's uh, rendition oh, wow. of what the Hercules cool. would look like in a maritime patrol uh, kind of uh, setup, and if we mm. go down to here, mm-hmm. you'll see one there launching a torpedo. You've got to love a moody sky in the mm. background, haven't you? So this is, this is something that you know. This is another could be another string to the C one thirty J's bow, really. Yes, you know, it's going to go from being a transport aircraft to a maritime surveillance aircraft. You're just as saying well. that because it's, it's awesome. Lockheed know, in, in the title, because you're know. obsessed by the Lockheed. That's I what. <laughs> but I know. I think that's really cool. I think that's Absolutely. really cool. Yeah, no, I'm not disagree with you there. So next story. Yeah, okay, and this one is uh, down to Pip. So, Pip, uh, take it... Uh, hang on, don't don't take it away just yet. Uh, there we go. Take it away. Okie dokie. So, this is the, the, uh, the A400M story, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. That is okay, the one. Okay, cool. Okay, this is from Flight Global, and the headline is A400M achieves service entry milestone for UK. The Royal Air Force has achieved the in-date... 
the in-service date for its Airbus A400M tactical transport with the milestone representing the transfer of a seventh aircraft from Airbus Defence and Space. Previously scheduled to occur during March, the in-service target was missed earlier this year with a further delay to the scheduled caused by the fatal crash of the uh, Airbus A400M in Seville uh, during May. And I've lost my scroll down button. Hang on. <laughs> there it is. Oh. Airbus has now delivered four A400Ms to RAF Bryce Norton in Oxfordshire, with another three examples having been transferred to support testing of the type's defensive aid system equipment for the UK. The service will eventually field 22 of the type under an acquisition worth $2.75 billion. How much? <laughs> 2.75 billion, that's a lot of money. That is uh, pounds, that is, sorry, 2.75 billion pounds, 4.2 billion US. It's still a lot of money, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, the story continues. Announcing the development during the Defence and Security Equipment International Exhibition in London in September, Minister of State for Defence Procurement, Philip Dune, or Dunn, said the latest handover means the A400M can now undertake tasks wherever it is needed around the world. Uh, Airbus says the RAF will later this month pass a combined 1,000 flying hours with its A400Ms and cites a mission success rate in excess of 90%. Ooh. So there we go, A400M going strong. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw one of these, didn't we, Pip, at, uh, at React this year, and we even went on board one. Mm, How you. cool was that? We went on, in fact, I went on twice, Carlos. Oh, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> After you went on the Sunday, I went back and found our friend Phil Cavey, and he gave uh, uh, myself and my wee lad another tour. Oh, fantastic! Always Funnily enough, I was I've just today was flying with a guy who's an ex Hercules RAF chap, and he was laughing at the A400M. He said they were they were talking about this when he left the Air Force fifteen years ago. Really? However, due it was. Yeah. Even back then, but um, mm. you know, certainly the ball's rolling now for it. Cool, yeah. So moving on to the next story. And is this? Are you not? You're not doing. You're going to control. You're yes, going to yes, control sorry, it's, it's all getting a bit. Yeah. So, flight global. This one, uh, first functional Boeing KC forty six A tanker to fly uh, the twenty fifth of September. Uh, the Air Force's developmental next generation tanker, the Boeing KC forty six A, is expected to make its maiden flight on the twenty fifth of September, which is oh, that's, well, that's next week. Indeed. According to the service's program executive office for tankers, preparation for the first flight paused for 30 days after a chemical mix-up contaminated the integral fuel system and any scheduled margin built into the program is long gone. Despite several setbacks and almost one-year schedule delay, Brigadier General Duke Richardson says the second engineering and manufacturing development EMD aircraft, the first functional tanker, is uh, in fuel dock after receiving repairs and should be airborne by the month's end. Speaking uh, at an Air Force Association event in Washington, Richardson says that we're not struggling in terms of capability and Boeing remains committed to delivering the first 18 aircraft in August 2017. There's a lot going on right at the, uh, in, the, in the program, he says. The Air Force is breathing a sigh of relief that uh, the KAC-46 is being developed under a firm fixed contract. Since the uh, total uh, development cost to the U.S. government is capped at $4.9 billion, and Boeing is taking the fiscal hit from any costly overruns. So that's good. We've Mm. covered the uh, KC-46 quite a few times on the show now. And um, 
that's going to be an awesome tanker. That'd yeah, be nice, okay. nice if we see that uh, next year, possibly. Yeah, Riyadh. absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, on to um, uh, the penultimate story. This is also on uh, Flight Global, and the headline is Boeing doubles F-15C missile load in 2040 Sea Eagle upgrade. What's a 2040 Sea Eagle upgrade? I dare say all will be explained. Boeing has unveiled an upgunned version of its supersonic F-15C air superiority uh, jet designed to keep the aging fleet operationally relevant through to 2040. Blimey, you really are thinking ahead there, aren't they? Called the 2040C, the upgrade package includes quad pack uh, munitions, racks designed to double the aircraft's air-to-air missile payload to 16, and... uh, conformal fuel tanks for extended range flights. For communications, Boeing is naturally offering the uh, the Talon uh, Hate, the uh, Air Force's program of record for connecting the F-15 with Lockheed Martin's F-22 Raptor. In terms of serviceability, Boeing's package includes uh, Raytheon's APG-63 version 3, active uh, synthetically um, uh, scanned array, that's the AESA radar, and a long-range infrared search and track IRST sensor for first sight, first shot, first kill air-to-air combat. The 2040C continues delivery of the Eagle passive stroke active warning um, survivability system that's the EPAWSS systems a program designed to equip the fourth generation F15 with the latest electronic warfare capabilities a contract uh, announcement for that uh, effort is expected very very soon uh, Boeing vice president of the F15 programs Mike Gibbons says that the 2040C concept is an evolution of the silent eagle proposed to South Korea with some low observable improvements but uh, mostly a focus on the latest air capabilities and uh, lethality. Lethality, is that even a word? Lethality. Indeed, they're making words up as lethal. they go along. Yeah. Yeah, lethal. It's not, a, it's not something you want on the wrong side of you anyway. <laughs> that's actually good, that's a good picture that you've got there on oh, the is screen. It? Oh, okay, hang on. Oh, one the, second, uh, here it comes. F-15. There you go. There you go. Little so, so you can see that one in the chat room there. Yeah, so you can see. absolutely. So the F the F fifteen just for for a bit of information because we always like to bring some information Definitely. to the show. So the F fifteen, the McDonnell Douglas F fifteen yep. Eagle, uh, was introduced into service the year we were born, Matt, nineteen seventy. Oh, it was a good year that. Good oh, year yes. that. Yeah. And uh, I don't mean the tires. It's powered by <laughs> Pratt and Whitney F one hundred engines, and um, it had the unit cost. Uh, and this is going back to nineteen ninety eight, but it had a unit cost around that time of around thirty million dollars oh. for one of those aircraft. Gosh. So, if you want to buy one, uh, <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> So moving on then to our last story, story in the military is, segment. Yeah, this is for Pip, so if you want to take this one away. Certainly. Okay, this is DARPA replaces helicopter landing skids with robotic legs. The U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, who I assume is DARPA, has demonstrated robotic helicopter legs that promise to soften and stabilize rotorcraft landings for just a moderate increase in weight. Uh, By replacing the traditional landing gears with automatic robotic legs, the U.S. government thinks it can reduce hard landings by a factor of five and land on 20-degree slopes without the risk of the rotor blades hitting the ground. The technology being developed by the Georgia Institute of Technology under DARPA's Mission Adaptive Rotor Program could greatly expand 
the effectiveness of helicopters across many military and national security missions, DARPA said in a statement. Helicopters are incredibly maneuverable in the air, but during landing and takeoff, their traditional skid and wheel-based landing gears requires stable, flat surfaces, surfaces that are often unavailable in helicopter-needy environments such as forward operating areas, ships at sea, and natural disaster zones, the organization says. And then there's a nice picture here of this helicopter. I don't know if you're able to show the yeah. pictures there, there with this yeah, robotic legs. Yeah, here we go. I'll, I'll keep reading while you sort that out. Yeah. The four robotic legs use a force sensitive contact sensors to adjust to uneven terrain, keeping the rotorcraft on a safe horizontal plane. After takeoff, the legs fold away under the fuselage. Oh, cool. Uh, the equipment successfully demonstrated the ability to land and take off from terrain that would be impossible to operate from with standard landing gear, says um, someone. <laughs> the demonstration took place in Atlanta, Georgia, and the technology remains in development at the Institute. It has obvious applications for Northrop Grumman's MQ-8 Fire Scout aircraft and others that operate from relatively light and unstable platforms, such as the uh, uh, such as a combat ship. And there's another nice picture. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, that's the end of the story. So I guess the idea here is these. Um, there we go. That picture there. Yeah. These okay, legs. Can yeah. you see? Is, is the picture up on live? Is it? Yeah, it is, is yeah. now. Yeah. There you go. Oh, only people in the chat room can see that. I guess so. No, anyone watching on YouTube sort of can watch it as well. Extend yeah. out or contract on one side so that the helicopter remains level whilst it's sitting on a slope. It kind of looks like. So, um, the, the systems they put on the Mars rovers, mm, yeah, mm, yeah, which you know that's to, to let them go over over rocks and uneven surfaces. It's, it sort of looks like that. Neat I'm, idea, actually. I, I don't know why someone's not thought of that before. Yeah, I was going to say that. Pretty obvious when you see it. One one of the common problems they've had with helicopters is the fact that it always needs a decent place for it to actually land. A level, yeah, a level location mm, for it yeah. to land. And you just think, given how good technology is with this sort of thing, I mean, you're almost sort of amazed that this is the first time that somebody's actually done it. And also, this would be an awesome some application wouldn't you agree pip for like the search and rescue helicopters for yeah any, i yeah. mean for anything like that anything that any helicopter that needs to get into a a slightly tricky terrain i yeah. think that would work a treat oh as you say especially in in search and search and rescue i mean that's mm. it, it, it's, a, it's an absolutely brilliant idea anyway that yeah, brings that the military, military segment section to, to a, a close. close that's it yeah and i'm I've, my wife has very kindly um, oh, brought on. me this um this glass oh, of go, red look. wine oh, dear. there we go a glass <laughs> of red wine and it's really nice red wine is it what is it what is it uh, it's a is it a wolf blast wife Yes, it's Wolf Blast. Listen to that wife. Her name is Gemma. You <laughs> horrible, horrible caveman. You. I know. She, she, she puts Ooh, up with a lot. Look at that. That's good. Yes. She puts up. She puts up with a lot. Bless yeah, her. she has to. I think. Yeah. Yes. Whilst you're drinking your wine, do you want to hear some information on that uh, Qatar story you did earlier? Yeah, go on, Pip. Yeah, because yeah. you are you are the man. Yeah. Well, this is third-hand information, but I have it on good authority that this is what happened. Um. The guys at Qatar and many other operators apparently use some, uh, call it an app for want of a better word, on an iPad that they use for calculating their takeoff performance. So uh, speeds, M1 settings, takeoff distances, this kind of thing. So they go in, I don't know exactly how it works, but they go in, they weight, they put in their weights and things like that, and it spits out at them all the information they need. Now, on this particular airport, was it Miami? Was that what airport it was? Something yes, it Miami, was, yeah, yeah, Miami. Yeah. yeah, I think it was Miami. There was something going on, so there had been a temporary revision to that runway, 09 left, I think it was. Right. And they labelled the temporary revision in the iPad app. It was labelled as 
T1, temporary one, which is a pretty dumb thing to do considering that there was also a runway intersection called T1, Tango 1. So the temporary revision applied to the entire runway length, right? So yeah. when they went on the app, they looked at this and they saw T1 and they assumed that meant intersection Tango 1. Oh, so right. they put all their stuff in and it spat everything back and it basically said, yep, yeah, you're good to go with that data, which ah. they thought related to Tango 1. But it didn't. It related to the full runway length. So they went blissfully unaware, lined up on Tango 1 and took off having computed and set data for the full runway length rather than whatever it was, two-thirds of the runway length. Really? And therefore, based on that information, they didn't have enough runway length to, to, to do, do the job. That's, that's... And that is what I understand from someone who knows mm. is what happened. There we yeah. go. You heard it here. Absolutely. You heard it here yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. A, a fantastic update as always. And all the way from France. Well, I know. <laughs> I know. Yes. Uh, how oh. is the hotel, by the way? <laughs> like I told you earlier, I, it's lovely. Is it? <laughs> I, I tell you what, Pip. We're, we're loving the uh, we're yes. loving the, the 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 thing behind you. The pink, the, the lovely little pink, pink sort of thing. thing. Is that yeah. is that something that uh, you brought from home with you as a, a memento of your <laughs> your time away from home? Is it? Or it's, I'm not sure what it is. I thought it was a mirror, but it's not. I think it's called art. Oh, ah, oh okay, no, I'm not art. very good at art. Yes, no, that's a fair point. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it's art. So, uh, so uh, hey, no, it's not, it's not the best hotel room I've ever been in. No, but, um, okay, you know, really, I, uh, I I I was under the impression that SafeJet always put you up in uh, these plush five-star really, yeah, luxury resorts. Yeah. Well, no. generally it's pretty good, actually. Generally <laughs> it's it? okay, but every so often you get a, a naff one, and this is generally this is definitely one of them, in fact. But given the fact that there's 200,000 people traipsing across Europe trying to find somewhere safe to live, it would sound pretty well, bad. Yeah, but yeah no, of course. Yeah, you know, he's not no, fluffy absolutely. enough. So, <laughs> content with it for now. Yeah. Any any chance, then, Pip? Next uh, next weekend, you'll be flying into Malta at all to join me at the air show. <laughs> Ever hopeful. Uh, when are you going next weekend? A week from today. Yeah, we fly the twenty sixth, which is next Saturday, and I'm at the air, air show on the Sunday, the twenty seventh. Uh, when am I back at work? Hang on, I go home tomorrow. <laughs> Pip's going to try and schedule a flight there now. Thursday. I'm back at work next Friday, so you never know. Whee! <laughs> occasionally, not often yeah. enough, but every no. so often I go to Malta. Oh, so, yeah. I like you, I love Malta. Oh, oh, no. Good, yeah. that's what I like to hear. That's what I, like oh, to I, hear. I fell in love with it. Me and Mum had a little holiday there and we both fell in love with it. It was absolutely brilliant. Matty Fab has put in the chat room uh, that uh, he thinks that the, the, the pink... Thing behind you, Pip, looks like women's underwear. Oh, hello! <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Matt, my wife might be watching this. Don't drop me in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. I do love oh, a live dear. show. I do <laughs> love a live show. <laughs> oh, so we—that is where we we do really have to bring yeah. episode seventy-eight to a close of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Uh, we'd like to thank Pip for joining us uh, yeah. via Skype this evening. So thanks for that, Pip, uh, as always. Oh, uh, and also thanks for sending us your segment in which you uh, yeah, produced for us as well. Yeah, yeah thanks. We really do appreciate that. Yeah, if you want to catch Pip, uh, don't forget then uh, to listen to his fabulous podcast. And I would strongly recommend Matt's that you do exactly. Oh, shot gonna, of that. oh, am I? Am I I'm, oh, yes, right. Okay, it is. You need to go to uh, www.plainsafetypodcast.com. And uh, as I say, all of his previous shows, including the latest one. Uh, your latest one, I think, is the Riyadh one. Is that right, Pip? 
That's number React 17. One. Yeah, I've been yeah. working on a new one this last few days, but I thought I was going to get it recorded. But uh, hey, look at that. You put it on the thing. Nice. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't recorded it yet. Hopefully within the next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fantastic. And, I'm uh, looking at uh, density altitude in, in the new one. Oh, I've really good feedback from some of the guys in the chat room, in fact. Oh, right. Featured on the next episode. Cool, cool. Excellent, good, good. And where can the guys find us, Matt? Yeah, to, so to, to contact us, obviously, uh, it is uh, plaintalkinguk.com. Don't forget, uh, you need to go to, uh, if you want to find us on Facebook, it is facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk, and our Twitter handle is at plaintalkinguk. Uh, we're going to be running a segment very, very soon. Um, as you know, I don't know a great deal about uh, aviation and that kind of thing. I'm frantically really? trying to... Uh, stop it. Uh, I'm trying to frantically learn it. Um, and Carlos suggested one of the best ways of doing that is listening to other people's podcasts. Yeah. Obviously, I listen to Pips. And uh, I've also... Somebody also recommended... Um, uh, I was also recommended um, Betty, Betty, yeah. Betty in the sky with a suitcase, yeah. uh, and I've listened to that this week. That's been absolutely amazing. So, please, uh, if anybody's got any recommended listens for somebody who doesn't know a great deal about aviation, we know about the main ones, obviously, like Grant and uh, and Steve, PCDU, PCDUK, mm. uh, PCD, uh, whatever it is. Yes. Oh, just just as just as a, a side off that, Matt, for yeah. those of you guys and girls who uh, who listen to playing crazy down under. And um, obviously wondering, because uh, Stephen Grant obviously try and get an episode mm. out as quick as they can. Yeah. Uh, St- for those of you who don't know, Steve is actually just recovering from quite a nasty operation oh, to no. his knee. Oh, um, so he is currently, uh, when I spoke to him yesterday, I think he was he was recuperating um, on a sofa. Oh. Uh, poor Doesn't Steve. Sound like but, him, yeah. uh, and obviously Grant is ballooning somewhere. Yeah, well, probably, yes. So send a message to Steve, get well soon. Do, yes, everybody yeah. do that who's in the chat room. I'm sure they'll appreciate it. But also, it is, uh, yeah, so if you can got any podcast that you would recommend that I listen to, uh, please send us either via the website, which is www.plaintalkinguk.com, and then click on the contact button. You can send an email directly, or our actual email address is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com yeah. so that's podcast at, at. plaintalkinguk.com um, yeah. we've got hopefully a very special interview coming up uh, either yeah. next week or the week after yeah. uh, Betty bless her Betty in the sky uh, with a suitcase has agreed to actually come on and have a chat to us about yeah, our wonderful has, podcast yeah. she's now celebrating oh, cool. she's now celebrating 10 years uh, of said mm. podcast and I'm really yeah. really really looking forward to talking to her and that's hopefully going to be happening we hopefully we're recording that next Friday mm. so uh, whether I'll have it ready to, to put out live or whatever I don't know because I don't know if she's agreed to come on live yet I'm working yeah. on that but uh, uh, if not as I say there's definitely an interview on its way um, but I'm really looking forward to that so, we're so try any and... other podcasts please oh, we've got, email we've got some suggestions can I, can I recommend one very quickly yeah of course yeah 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 one that I discovered just the other week is called uh uh, in the Inspired Pilots podcast ah, yeah. by another uh, British chap called yeah. uh, Marvin Robinson. Oh, cool. He does okay. a really nice podcast, the Inspired Pilot podcast. Inspired Pilot co- podcast, excellent. Okay. Yeah, he, he interviews pilots from all sort of areas of aviation. Oh, wow. Just interviews them, find out how they got into aviation. Cool. Uh, you know, some of the challenges they've met. Some well, we're ho- we're hoping to, to really nice listen. I'm I'm hoping to get uh, hopefully these ones that I've listened to. Hopefully, the idea is we'll run a little bit of a segment where we're talking about these various sec- uh, these various podcasts mm. and get an interview with them as well. Because uh, as I say, me as a novice, I I want to learn more and more mm. about it. But anyway, enough about that. Yes, uh, we are going to bring episode seventy eight to a close. Don't forget any of those listeners at all around the globe who will be at the Malta International Air Show. Mm. I'll be there on the twenty seventh. 
of September. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to be there, do come and see me. It'll be so awesome to see some listeners over there yeah, on definitely. the beautiful island of Malta. Malta yes. So that's where we're going to bring episode 78 of the Plain Talking UK podcast to a close. Just quickly before we go, say thanks to all those guys who joined us in the chat room yeah. tonight live yeah, on the show. Good. Matty Fab, thanks to you. Masha Gertz, big thanks to you. Uh, scrolling down the list here, we've got Soat Baka. Thanks for joining us as well. Um, we've got, uh, just scrolling down, Paul Tricker. Thanks to you, Paul. Uh, we've got uh, Neil Braden. Thanks to you, Neil. And scrolling down, Jennifer Parkinson. She popped in as well in mm. over in Rome there. She oh, came wow. and said hello. So uh, thanks for joining us, Jenny. Well, while, he, while he's finishing off that... Oh, if, Mark if, Harvey as Mark well. Harvey. Hello to you, Mark Harvey. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for joining us as well. If you, as I say, if, uh, please uh, spread the word, because we really rather are... We're really enjoying doing the live shows. It's great having interaction uh, live uh, uh, as we go out, and it's great, because some of you have brought us some stories as they've happened while we're on mm, air, which yeah. has been great. So uh, if, if you're up for this, we're up for doing it live every time. So please go out there, spread the word. Let's get that chat room absolutely buzzing. But w- I am now officially out of time so it is i'm afraid time to say goodbye so uh, if we could hand over to um a rather lovely what i hope is a dry part oh sorry a quick one ray davis as well quick shout out to ray davis and jonathan warner ah fantastic so uh, from what i hope is a a much nicer location than we are in in france i know it's give give us a wave pip (laughs) come on england yeah good man you see gotta (laughs) love the rugby yeah. <laughs> so that's it then guys and girls yeah. don't forget join us next week hopefully for another show before I fly out to Malta thanks for yes. joining us on the show so for me Carlos it's a I'm starvingly hungry and my wife's a <laughs> legend for cooking absolutely. me tea absolutely yes goodbye and from you Matt uh, from Matt here in the uh, humble kitchen studio looking forward to eating at a little restaurant called Smoky Joe's this evening for the first Ooh. time very excited I have warned them I'm half an hour late okay. uh, from here in the kitchen studio it's goodbye and from Pip it's uh, bon nuit hey, goodbye bye bye